Not a Dream, the podcast that talks about how comic book characters die off and come back constantly, and how it never gets old. Ever. Every episode, we look at a character's first appearance, their death, and their return to life. I'm your host, Ben Rathbone, recording from an alternate Earth created by a reality-warping mutant. You know, this kind of thing happens often enough in the comics, I start to wonder, why do the characters who create new universes stop at one? Try a bunch out. See what sticks. I know there's a reality out there somewhere where ice cream cures diseases and bears always wear hats. And I don't think superheroes would fight a villain over that to reverse it, you know? If you want to change history and the nature of reality, you got to give some incentives to keep it that way. Anyway, today we're going to talk about the most purple Avenger of all, Hawkeye. From his surprising origin to his baffling death, and finally his almost poetic return. I'm ready if you are, so let's jump into his first appearance in the 60s. What's your name, kid? The Human Spider. The Human Spider, that's it? That's the best you got? Yeah. Oh, that sucks. The sum of $3,000. These will be paid to the Terrifying, the Deadly, the Amazing Spider-Man! The year is 1964. Tales of Suspense, a title Marvel Comics used to reserve for Monster of the Month stories, has instead been running stories about a character named Iron Man for the better part of two years now. Every issue pits a different strange opponent against the metal-plated mortal. The newest issue's cover features a colorfully dressed archer challenging the comic's hero. How can a mere bow and arrow threaten a man who's defeated aliens, monsters, and supernatural foes? We find out in... Tales of Suspense, number 57. Written by Smiling Stan Lee, illustrated by Sparkling Don Heck, and lettered by Sterling S. Rosen. We open to Tony Stark's Weapon Factory, where a loose vat of molten steel threatens the life of a worker. Luckily, Iron Man, who everyone believes to be Tony Stark's bodyguard and not Stark himself, is around and is able to save the man just in time. Instead of questioning the root cause of the workplace hazard, Iron Man tells the man to watch where he ties his shoes. What a capitalist. Doorman Happy Hogan asks Iron Man to ask Tony Stark to put in a good word to Secretary Pepper Potts, because weapons factories work the same way as middle schools, apparently. Iron Man agrees, and when he tries to do this later on as Tony Stark, he instead asks Pepper out himself. In front of Happy. Real smooth, Tony. To be fair, Stark takes Pepper to the least romantic place he can imagine. Coney Island. There, they see... Hawkeye, the wonder of the age, the world's greatest marksman. The show is interrupted when a nearby ride malfunctions, threatening the lives of innocents. Man, nothing in this comic is built right. Living in the 60s must have been terrifying. Tony sneaks off, transforms into his alter ego, and saves the day. Hawkeye, meanwhile, broods and sulks, jealous that all of the attention has been drawn away from his show. What has Iron Man got that he hasn't? A colorful suit and mechanical gimmicks, he decides, so he goes home to hyper-focus on a new getup, spending days and nights fashioning a purple, blue, and yellow costume, and crafting unique arrows for custom situations. Once finished, he announces, Let Iron Man and every costume adventurer look to his laurels, for Hawkeye is about to make them all look sick. I'm guessing sick wasn't slang for cool in the 60s? Wait. 
Is it slang for cool now? Does anyone still say that? Am I old? Hawkeye tests one of his arrows, a rope and pulley arrow that allows him to swing from the ground up to a rooftop. Then he stops a jewelry store robbery. The thief escapes, leaving the jewels behind, and as the police show up to the scene, they mistakenly believe Hawkeye to be the thief and give chase. Hawkeye is saved by a mysterious, beautiful woman who invites him into her car. The woman is none other than Black Widow, who instead of leather or spandex is wearing a just a cutting green dress with a fur collar. An alliance is formed as Black Widow seduces the archer. Hawkeye doesn't pick up that she's a spy from Soviet Russia, and honestly, probably wouldn't care if he knew. The femme fatale gives the archer special communist arrow technology and a mission. Defeat Iron Man. Meanwhile, Tony decides to ask Pepper out again, this time on a proper romantic date. But the tables have turned and he shows up just in time to see her accepting a date with Happy. Hawkeye breaks into Stark's factory with his special suction cup arrow and uses an exploding arrow to get Iron Man's attention. Sure enough, it works, and when his target shows up, Hawkeye launches an attack, exploiting his opponent's weakness. Rust. Duh, because he's Iron Man. Hawkeye is a genius. The rusting action arrows... uh... work, and Iron Man is forced to retreat and strip off his armor. He then finds a spare suit he'd stashed away in the factory, but it's missing the right boot, so he has to look all over for it. Hawkeye finds the suit Tony removed and he collects the pieces together to bring back to his lab, which he apparently owns. I guess everyone just had a lab back then. But the angry antagonist never makes it to that lab, as Iron Man catches up to Hawkeye's car and destroys it with a swift power ray. Round 2. Iron Man repels Hawkeye's arrows with magnetic repulsor rays, and strongarms his way out of a net arrow. He proceeds to knock the archer unconscious. Or so he thinks. Once the armored Avenger's back is turned, Hawkeye leaps to his feet and fires a demolition blast warhead arrow. The explosion is mostly blocked by Iron Man's armor, but Black Widow is caught in the blast after showing up to watch the fight. Hawkeye is distraught by this turn of events and scoops up the spy in his arms, saying, She has to live! She has to be mine! She's the only one I've ever loved! Um, dude. The two escape on a boat while Tony recovers. Iron Man tries to follow, but decides he's too close to LaGuardia Airport to risk taking to the air, so our iron-powered protagonist goes back to his beachside weapons factory on Long Island to sulk by the ocean about how he couldn't ask a girl out that he likes. Okay, okay, so, so he's also sad about not knowing if and when the mechanical device keeping his heart alive will fail too. Fair enough. The end. Not bad. As far as comics of this time go, this feels like an average read. It's definitely nailing the Marvel superhero formula by balancing Tony's personal life with the colorful adventure, action, and intrigue. As far as a first appearance issue, though, it's a weird one because Hawkeye is an asshole. This dude's main motivations are 1. Prove he's as cool as a superhero, and 2. Get with Black Widow. And he's not just a jerk, but, like, the guy needs a therapist. I I mean, we all do, but, like, who in their right mind is jealous because people are more interested in someone's life being saved than his archery show, and then falls in love with a woman he's just met that convinces him to sabotage a weapons factory? Seriously, Clint, get help. I am a fan of Hawkeye, but, like, I think with a lot of people, most of that comes from Matt Fraction and David Aha's run on the character in the 2010s. In that series, Hawkeye is a dude protecting the residents of his apartment complex from a predatory gang trying to evict them. It also added some hidden intricacies to the character, such as the fact that he's had intermittent hearing problems and deafness since childhood. I think it's fascinating how far he's developed between these two depictions. But what's really interesting about it is you can still see how both characterizations could exist in one person. At least I can. 
Sometimes people think of comic book characters as being essentially static after they've fully formed, but it's nice to see that development and growth can happen, even if it's over several decades. Fractions Hawkeye is someone who's learned from his past, but still makes a lot of mistakes while trying to do the best he can do. He still has a lot of the failures and foibles of his first incarnation, but overall, he's a better man. Let's fast forward 40 years to 2004. What's been going on? In Marvel continuity, Hawkeye has gone through a lot of changes. First of all, he gets a name. Clint Barton. Then, when the supergroup Avengers, co-founded by his rival Iron Man, is looking for a new roster, Clint sends in his resume. He nails the interview and scores the job. Two of the other new recruits are mutant siblings Wanda and Pietro Maximov, the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Hawkeye becomes a mainstay of the Avengers. He is not always a team player, but does remarkably well for himself considering he's a dude with a bow and arrows fighting alongside Norse gods and super soldiers. He helps save the world and gains enough respect among the superhero community that his shady past is mostly forgotten. In the real world, time moves along, and before anyone's really prepared for it, we've entered the internet age. We survive Y2K and enter the 21st century. In the sphere of comics publishing, Marvel's Avengers comics aren't selling as well as they would like. Some of the company's hottest books right now are in their Ultimate line, a set of reboots of Spider-Man, Avengers, and X-Men, where the characters are reimagined as if they were starting out in the early aughts instead of the 60s. Marvel taps the writer of Ultimate Spider-Man, Brian Michael Bendez, to take over writing for the Avengers. Bendez doesn't waste any time and completely disassembles the team as we know it. Avengers, number 502. Writer, Brian Michael Bendez. Penciler, David Finch. Anchor. Danny Mickey. Colorist, Frank D'Armada. Letterer, R.S. and Comic Crafts, Albert Deschesney. The introduction to this issue tells us it's the worst day in Avengers history. Avenger Jack of Hearts exploded, killing Ant-Man and destroying the Avengers mansion. Then Vision showed up, but like an evil Vision, and with a bunch of Ultron robots. Also, She-Hulk hulks out of control and beats them all up. On the same day Iron Man, Currently, the U.S. Secretary of Defense humiliates himself by showing signs of extreme drunkenness, despite not having touched a drink. The Avengers send out a Code White emergency, the highest one, and numerous former Avengers and superhero friends arrive to help. Over three dozen superheroes stand in front of the Avengers Mansion wreckage, here to give support. Nick Fury has also arrived with S.H.I.E.L.D., the Strategic Hazard Intervention Espionage Logistics Directorate. Or wait, is it Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division? I guess it could be Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. Uh, They change it all the time. But Nick isn't happy that there's all these superheroes in the middle of what he considers to be a crime scene, and he tells them all to leave so he can investigate it. Because if anyone can order around 30-plus super-powered people, it's Nick Fury. Before anyone can leave, news comes in that the UN has unanimously decided to cut all ties with the Avengers in light of Tony Stark's behavior. No one's happy about this, but Captain America tries to place things in perspective, while Hawkeye is right pissed. They sold us out. All we've done for them and at our worst moment, boom, sold us out. Not so much as a phone call. They don't owe us a phone call? Bunch of suits. Other Avengers join the discussion. Nick Fury asks, for the second time, to politely get the fuck out of here. Departures are, however, interrupted, this time by an armada of alien spaceships. 
Hawkeye says he needs to go get more arrows, as the other Avengers battled invading force. They turn out to be the Kree, and even they only kinda know why they're here? As Captain America corners one of the foot soldiers, he spouts a bunch of nonsense about a prophecy, and the Avengers betraying them. Then, Hawkeye comes back. He wasn't joking about the arrows thing, because he's got a lot of arrows now. And he proceeds to lay them into every Kree in sight with a rapid series of sound effects like fzz and thunk. You alien fucks picked the wrong day to screw with this Avenger. As he fights, his back gets caught by laser fire, and the quiver he's wearing lights on fire. Sensing his imminent demise, Clint exclaims, Not like this! Not like this! Like this! And grabs a Kree soldier nearby with a jetpack. The avenging archer hijacks control of the flying device and rockets them both into the Kree mothership's engine turbine thing. As always, Hawkeye doesn't miss, so the ship explodes. Spurred on by their team member's sacrifice, the remaining Avengers rally against their opponents, and the Kree retreat. Captain America slowly lifts Clint's bow off the ground, as everyone tries to make sense of what just happened. One man has the answers. Doctor Strange apologizes for showing up late, but wonders aloud why they haven't figured this shit out yet. It's all been magic, duh. The magics are being abused. Ah oh man, I, I remember those dark days of comics where everything had to be some kind of convincing, shattering event or seriously twisted revelation about a classic character. I read these comics not too long after they came out, and revisiting it now, I don't think it holds up. These events where everything changes all at once just don't make for great stories. At best, they're cheap thrills. Sometimes those thrills reach exciting heights, but the story itself just doesn't have time to breathe, so if you take a moment to think about what's happening, you lose it. These events do create a lot of material for new stories, though. For good or worse, the events of Avengers Disassembled set the direction for just about all of Marvel's line of titles for years to come. Why did Hawkeye have to die? Well, when you boil down to it, at this point Hawkeye, more than any other member, represents the Avengers. Captain America and Iron Man have their own titles and their own adventures, but Hawkeye, up to this time, hardly ever did. His main identity by now was being an Avenger. So if you want a clean break between the old Avengers and the new Avengers, killing Hawkeye is about as symbolic as you can get. Superman, how can you be... Alive? Toy Man sent me to the future. Then Vandal Savage and I fought some giant cockroaches and... It's complicated. Next, we're skipping two years to 2006. Let's catch up on what happened after Hawkeye's death. The team discovers who is responsible for the weird disasters befalling the Avengers. It's Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, who has figured out that she was lied to about the nature of her children she'd conjured into existence years earlier. This caused her to go mad, and her reality-warping powers ran amok as a result. The Avengers confront their teammate and subdue her with the help of Doctor Strange. Before anyone can decide what to do next, Wanda's father Magneto, mutant master of magnetism, shows up and takes her away with him. The Avengers don't stay disassembled for long, and as the Avengers line is cancelled, a fresh new series is launched the same month named New Avengers. A little on the nose, but okay. The team features some classic members with notable new additions Spider-Man, Luke Cage, and Wolverine. It isn't too long before Scarlet Witch's powers act up again. This time, she changes the entire nature of the universe, creating a reality where mutants rule under the leadership of Magneto. There are cracks in this constructed dimension, however, and some heroes begin to remember their previous lives, Hawkeye among them, who has been returned to life in this new world. A group of Avengers, X-Men, and others assemble to confront the Scarlet Witch. In the ensuing battle, Wanda kills Hawkeye. Again. Realizing that this different life is a lie, and that it was Wanda's brother's Pietro's idea, Magneto lashes out against his son 
This serves as a breaking point for Wanda. She defends her brother, lashes out at her father, and speaks three infamous words. No more mutants. In a blinding explosion of energy, all our heroes are returned to the world they remember, with one key difference. All around the Earth, mutants are losing their powers. As the Avengers collect themselves from the strange experience they've just been through, they receive an alarm that there's an intruder on the property of the abandoned Avengers mansion. When they arrive to investigate, they find Hawkeye's costume hanging from the wall by arrows, as well as a newspaper with the Archer's obituary. What does this mean? Has their former teammate been reset with the rest of the planet? We don't find out for sure until... New Avengers, number 26. Writer, Brian Michael Bendez. Artist, Alex Malieve. Letterer, RS and Comic Crafts, Albert DeSesne. Hawkeye wakes up in the snow on the lawn of the still-destroyed Avengers mansion. The alarms sound as he jumps the fence to go inside. There he finds a newspaper featuring his own obituary. He bolts this in his costume to the wall with arrows and leaves, before the new Avengers arrive in response to the alarm. Now dressed in civilian attire, Clint makes his way to Doctor Strange's sanctum. He apologizes for coming without an appointment. Strange invites him inside and scans Clint's body, mind, and soul. Clint Barton, you are very healthy and you are very much alive, in every sense of the word. I was dead, though, right? Strange brews some tea, and the two talk. They talk about Wanda, and her effect on the world, and everything that's been happening since he's been dead. Clint, more than anything, wants closure. He asks the Sorcerer Supreme if he can find the Scarlet Witch. Strange answers that he could if she'd been using her magic, but she hasn't. Wherever she is, if she's still alive, she's living a powerless life. Clint asks that the Doctor not contact the Avengers. He's got shit to figure out first. He thinks if he can just ask Wanda, talk to her. Strange warns that it will not help him. If you find her, if by some miracle, I doubt that what you'll find will help you feel better about what's happened. It may make things worse. Clint, however, is determined. He sets off on a journey to find Wanda, one that takes him to Wondagore Mountain, a place in Eastern Europe where Wanda and her brother were originally from. There he encounters a young thief running off with a woman's bag of apples. Clint stops the apple thief by throwing an apple at the boy's head, and he returns the bag to a woman and her elderly aunt. Seeing the woman up close, he sees that she is none other than Wanda Maximoff. This is too much for him, and he passes out on the street. Wanda pulls a Lorraine from Back to the Future and undresses Clint, putting him in her bed. He wakes up with Wanda looking over him. She clearly does not recognize him and doesn't know anything about mutants or Avengers. She believes she's been here her whole life, but that her whole family is gone, except her aunt, asleep in the other room. Wanda offers to help Clint look for the person he says he's here to find, but Clint tells her she's not here. He sobs, saying his friend was right to tell him he'd find no closure here. Wanda gives some advice. I'll tell you what I do if I have a feeling like the feeling you have now, and it's doing you little good and you don't want it anymore. If you think you're done with it, let it go. Let it go. By the way, I should say that this was pre-frozen, so this might have hit a little bit more profound. Wanda tells him that his trip wasn't a total waste. He got to be her hero, after all. She kisses him, and he kisses back, and they make love. The next morning, Clint wakes up first. Curious about Wanda's aunt, he's about to open the door to the other room, but then he remembers. Dr. Strange's words, that even if he finds what he's looking for, it could make things worse. He lets go of the doorknob and leaves the house without looking back. This comic book is fucking beautiful. If you haven't seen Alex Malieve's art before, look him up. 
I don't have the words to do it justice, but since I have to try, I'd say it's shadowy, surreal, and picturesque. He captures so much emotion in every panel of this comic with painstaking subtlety. You can see Clint's confusion as he comes to term with all of his existential questions about life and death and second life and second death. Once he's traveled to Mount Wondagore, the comic takes on the feel of a fairy tale. The reds of Wanda's hair and dress are extensions of her. They're expressive in the ways they move and reshape on the page. The other houses and landmarks in the place are just in focus, as if the entire place is a dream. This issue also does something that most other comic book resurrections don't do. It deals entirely with the mystery of returning to life instead of the justification. Outside of a religious context, resurrection doesn't make any sense, and this story leans into that. It deals with the emotions of dying and coming back. Hawkeye may have had his life returned to him, but that doesn't erase the trauma of his death or the betrayal of a friend. The resulting story is equal parts personal and philosophical. And I think that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Not a Hoax, Not a Dream. If you liked it, you know what to do. Rate it. Give it a review. Follow the show. Tell a friend. Start a petition to make Not a Hoax, Not a Dream the official podcast of planet Earth. Then the Cree, the Scrolls, all those space people out there will start listening in. And that's when things really get going. If you can get the Cree's supreme intelligence to tweet about your podcast, forget about it. Speaking of tweets, I should have the show's Twitter page up and running by the time this episode airs, and we already have an Instagram, so feel free to check those out. All right, until next time, I'll see you around, listener.